Amen. Welcome to church, everybody. It's always an honor and a privilege to pray for your children. We do that with sincerity. Uh, I know also what it's like to have kids and to worry over those kids and to be concerned about those kids, but what a wonderful uh, calm it brings to a parent's soul to know that those kids are in the great shepherd's hands. Wow. As, you're, uh, as the kids are leaving, let me just go ahead and make an announcement. Uh, we are going to, we have begun the registration for our family retreat. Don't forget, April, I believe it's the 14th and the 15th, we are going on a family retreat in Bendungan. We just took a trip yesterday there, and we took a look at a couple of great, wonderful resorts. And I do believe that either today or tomorrow, we can make a final decision on which resort will be most meaningful to our retreat. And so we'll make that known to you as soon as possible. But for today, you'll notice that whether it's through Instagram or maybe on the announcements uh, that you'll see at the end of service today, there is a QR code. There is a, a, a link on the, on the uh, church group chat where you can go and sign on. Register online for this retreat. We need to know how many people are coming because we need to know how to prepare for that. So we are asking you to please register husbands and wives and your children. Make sure all the names are there. And just to help you out, just in case you are tech, technologically impaired like I am, at the end of service, Hira and Vera are going to have manual registration forms. And so if you, uh, your husbands and wives and your kids, if you want to come join us, find them after service. I don't think I see either one of them right now, but they're probably with the kids right now down in Sunday school. But at the end of the service, you'll see them with their clipboards, and they're ready to wait on you, take down your name, the name of your kids, and to make all those plans, and, and we'll be keeping in touch with you. So please make today the day that you register and sign up. All right, that way we've got plenty of time. This is happening in a month. It'll give us plenty of time to make all the preparations necessary for the retreat. Amen? You with me? All right, praise God. Well, today we're going to be going to Romans chapter 13. And a lot of people this past week have asked me, what are you going to preach on this coming week? And I, I almost jokingly have told them all, I'm preaching a sermon that's probably going to be fairly unpopular to preach <laughs> because it deals with government. And I know as soon as we mention government, no matter where you're from or what kind of upbringing you've had, whatever dealings you've had with government, usually that term government and all that's involved with it usually comes along with some negative feelings about uh, governors or those who are in authority in the country or the nation or the state in which they reside. And you'll notice that the title of today's sermon is not just government, but submit to government. And so this may not be your favorite sermon today when we see what God says about these things. But stay with me. Let's see what God does say. And after today's message, let's just make a decision. I'm going to do what God has commanded me to do. Amen? we just saying, I exalt you. And we are going to learn today that God is highly exalted over all. And our number one devotion and allegiance is to God and to God alone. But now let's hear what God says through the Apostle Paul and in other parts of Scripture. What is our attitude to be for our governing authorities? So with that, if you'll turn to Romans chapter 13... Today's verses are going to be 1 to 7. Romans 13, verses 1 to 7. Remember that we are in the part of Romans that's talking about how we are to behave as Christians. In the body of Christ, into the world which we live, and now what is our attitude toward those in governmental authority over us? Romans chapter 13, when you find it, please stand with me. Beginning at verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror 
to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Customs to whom customs. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. Amen. You may be seated. When we talk about government, this is something that affects every one of our lives. Now, when I look at all of you today, and this includes me, of course, right now we are all residing in a nation under the government authority of Indonesia. And some of you have grown up here, and you've known this all your life. There's a certain culture here in Indonesia, and there are laws and rules that you might not find in other nations, but they are specific for Indonesia. And so you're used to those things. Well, there are some of us also who are not from Indonesia. We're from England. We're from the United States or, or the Singapore or the Philippines. And so we come from different backgrounds. Nevertheless, we also come from a place where we are ruled by the governing authorities. But all of us here, whether you are a citizen of Indonesia or you are a long-term resident of Indonesia, we live in Indonesia. And according to God, we are to submit to the authority of the government of Indonesia. Look how Paul begins all of this. Do you remember last week when we talked about um, the body of Christ and the way that we are to live into the wor in the world? That we are to love without hypocrisy? And we mentioned how that very first phrase, love without hypocrisy, that kind of provided the drapery over the entire text that we read last week. Like a banner hanging every verse that we read was that one theme, love without hypocrisy. And same today. We are reading many verses, but you can put all of them underneath a banner, and Paul begins with this one phrase. The one phrase is, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. That's the heading of everything Paul is about to say in our attitude with government. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Now, first of all, let's think about historically what these words meant, especially when Apostle Paul wrote them. Do you know what kind of government he was living in at the time? It was the Roman government, the Roman Empire, ruled by the emperor or the Caesar. And in Paul's day, that Caesar was Nero. And if you know history, or you can at least even see this in the, in the scriptures, Rome was not the most wonderful and ideal government in the history of the world. In fact, what government is the ideal government in the world? But Paul lived under a tyrannical dictatorship of Rome. And that wasn't just the city of Rome. It wasn't just for the country of Italy. The Roman Empire spread through all the areas of the world. In every direction. And in the known world in Paul's day, Caesar had his hand in every affair of mankind. The Roman Empire was everywhere. Wherever you went, that province, that people group, those cultures were under the authority of Caesar Nero. And we know that Rome wasn't exactly the most moral place to be either. In fact, morally speaking, Historians call Rome a sewer because when people from all over the world came into the city of Rome and they brought with them every wicked way that they lived among all their people groups, it all came to Rome and just sort of settled there in Rome. So Rome was, morally speaking, evil and a very wicked society. This is the government that Paul is speaking about when he says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. 
Now, of course, ruling over Rome was Caesar, Caesar Nero. And by the time Paul wrote these words, Nero was already watching the Christian community with very suspicious eyes. From the very beginning, he did not like the Christian community. And he was suspicious of their activity. And no wonder. They knew, of course, what happened in the days of Jesus. That crucifixion scene, they remember how all the world was turned upside down over this one called Jesus the Christ. Rome never forgot about all the chaos that was happening in Jerusalem and in Judea during the days of Jesus. And now you have people who claim to follow Jesus and everywhere they go, what's happening? Well, read through the book of Acts. When the disciples go to one city, or when Paul goes to one city, preaching the gospel of Jesus, what happens? Rioting. And mobs come to attack the disciples, to attack Paul, and attempt to kill them. Why? Because they were doing what Jesus told them to do. To go in all the world and preach the everlasting gospel. And what happened when they did that? Well, the people from the Greek world, pagan worshipers, people who made money off of worshipers coming to the temple, giving their offerings, burning their incense, being involved with the, 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 the wicked worship of the temples, they got rich off of those things. Making images for people to buy and bring to their home. It was a big money-making business. But what happens when you have a bunch of Gentiles coming to Christ, being saved and converting to Christianity, no more worship at the temple. No more worshiping of graven images. No more offering in incense. And so the pagan Gentiles were angry because they were losing money over this. And their answer to it was to attack the Christian community. The Jews were also doing the same thing. The Jews who rejected Jesus, they also got everybody to riot against the Christians. And so Rome was watching carefully. Everywhere Christians go, there seems to be rioting happening. And so what do you think Nero thinks about Paul, the apostle? Everywhere he goes, upheaval, arguing, people trying to kill each other. Nero is very suspicious of Paul. What is Paul teaching? Well, this is like Paul saying, Nero, do you want to know what I'm teaching? Do you want to hear what I'm saying about the Christian and government? What I'm teaching is, first and foremost, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Every soul. That's not just Christians. The message here is every person, man, woman, child, is to reverently be subject to the governing authorities. Now, I think when Paul says that, all people or every soul, I think it's a responsibility for every Christian. If every soul is to submit themselves to the governing authority, then the Christian needs to be the example. A Christian should be the example of a good citizen, a good member of society. And not only should we be a good example, but if somebody were to ask you a question about how we should respond to government, how should we react in times of disagreement, what should the Christian say? The Christian should say, let's be subject to the governing authorities. We are to be an example of what Paul is saying here. So that every soul will learn this principle. Every soul be subject. Do you know what subject means? The word subject means put things in proper order. Put things in their proper order. And to be subject means, especially when we're talking about government, government is here, the citizens are here. That is our proper place. They are in authority over us. That's what it means to be subject. So today, as I'm going through an unpopular message, maybe, I want to consider a few questions as we read what Paul is writing here and in other parts of Scripture. Here are some questions we may have as Christians and how we are to respond to government. Like, 
Government oversees people. Okay? I understand that. But who oversees the government? Who are they accountable to with what they do in life? That's a good question. Here's another one. What are exactly the responsibilities of a government? What are they supposed to do? And what are the responsibilities of people, the Christians especially? What about when government is corrupt? What then? Or is there any limitation to our obedience to the government? Is there a limit to what we are going to do in obedience to the government? Or in other words, is it ever proper to resist the commands of government? It's a good question. Here's another one. Does God care whether or not I pay my taxes? Oh. So let's get into this and find out perhaps what God says about these things. We're going to categorize these in three sections today with what Paul says here. Paul, number one, is going to give us a reminder. Okay, that's number one. Number two, he's going to talk about resistance. And number three, responsibility. Number one, a reminder. Number two, resistance. Number three, responsibility. You ready? Let's begin. Number one, Paul gives us a reminder. And here it is right here in verse one. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. This is what we are to remember. The first reminder is for all of us. And in many situations of life. Because not only has God ordained, according to Scripture, the relationship between government and its citizens, God has ordained other institutions as well. For example, marriage between a husband and a wife is a God-ordained institution. So is parenting, the relationship between parents and children. And the Bible also talks about the relationship between master and slave. Or as maybe we say today, employer, employees. I hope your employees don't feel like slaves. But that's what we're talking about in our context today. And in these institutions, we are also reminded today Wives, submit to your husbands. Amen. Children, obey your parents. And slaves or servants, be obedient to your masters. But in all of these commands from Scripture comes this one thing to remember. It says, wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. And it also says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Servants, be obedient to masters as you are to Christ. What are we to remember in these relationships? Especially today when we're talking about citizen and government. Paul says to submit yourself to government and always remember this. That over your president over your king or queen, over your prime minister, over your governor, over your mayor or senator, over them all is God. Wives, over your husbands is Christ. A wife should remember that, and you know who else better remember that? The husband. Or for a servant, Remember, servant, serve your master because Christ is over him. How you serve your master is how you're serving Christ. Remember that. But also, master, you better also remember that the king of kings is over you. Your Lord is over you. Which means, whether husbands, masters, or governors, they are accountable to the one Lord, Jesus Christ. Both parties are to remember this truth. The first thing that we remember, or the first thing that we are reminded of, is that when we submit to government, we're really submitting to God. Because it's God who has ordained this relationship, and it's God who appointed President Jokowi as president over Indonesia. Now, he might not think that. He may not believe that. He might disagree with that. But the truth is, 
He is where he is because God chose for him to be the current president of Indonesia. And the same goes for every leader of every nation. The second thing that is a reminder here is, of course, the reminder for the husband, for the master, for the parent, to remember that the Lord is over you. And the reminder for a president or a king, the Lord is over you. And you are accountable to him. For example, in the Bible, let's consider two things here. We're speaking about the truth that the Lord is over all. No matter how powerful somebody may seem to be, the Lord is above them. In the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, there's a great example of this. There was a king that needed to remember his proper place. Even though he was a great king, he needed to remember somebody was over him. In the book of Daniel, Daniel lived in, at the time, the most powerful kingdom the world had ever seen, and that was Babylon. And it was Babylon that burned down Jerusalem, destroyed its temple, and took many captives back into Babylon, including Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest conqueror the world had ever witnessed up to that time, he was king over Babylon. And the Bible says that one day, King Nebuchadnezzar was walking through his kingdom, looking at all of his stuff, his palace, his wealth. He was remembering all of the victories that he led his, his, his soldiers in, all the conquering he did. He considered how great and vast his empire was. And then he began to look at himself that he was such a great and mighty king. Nobody was like him. And when he was prideful, God spoke to King Nebuchadnezzar. And God said, because you have thought this, because you have forgotten it is me that puts you in the place where you are today, God was going to teach Nebuchadnezzar a lesson. He allowed Nebuchadnezzar to become a crazy man for seven years. He would wander out into the fields, eat bugs and eat grass, and live like an animal. Never taking a shower, his nails growing really long, he became a crazy man out in the wilderness. And then God said at the end of seven years, then you will know that I am the most high. Now we'll stop right there for a moment. Do you know in the book of Daniel, other than the Psalms, the book of Daniel emphasizes this one phrase more than anywhere else in the Bible. We see it in the Old Testament. We also see it in the New Testament. But nobody talks about it like Daniel does. In the day of the great empire, Babylon. And that phrase is the most high God. Because every ruler needed to come to this understanding that he's the one in charge. He's the one who sits on the throne. And God says, I will put a ruler in place and then I will rip him out of that place. I build a nation and I flatten nations. I raise up a kingdom and I obliterate kingdoms. The power is mine. The authority is mine. King Nebuchadnezzar, you need to learn this lesson. And you know what? He did. Let me read to you for just a moment exactly what happened. So he became a crazy man living in the wilderness. And then the Bible says that God healed him put him back in his right mind. And let me read for you Daniel chapter 4. If you want to turn to it, I'll give you a moment to do that. Or you can just listen to my reading. Daniel chapter 4, beginning at verse 34. Nebuchadnezzar is healed. He's been humbled. And here's what happens. Verse 34. This is Nebuchadnezzar speaking. And at the end of that time... I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored Him who lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand. No one can say to him, why have you done this? Or what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. 
And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom. An excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, I praise and extol the honor of the king of heaven. All of whose works are truth and his ways justice. And those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. What did King Nebuchadnezzar remember? That God is the most high God. Above every God. Above every demon. Above every king, president, king, queen, whoever we're talking about. God is the Lord most high above all. Every ruler in the world better remember this proper place that God has put them in. And you might say, well, that's the Old Testament. Does the New Testament shed any light on this? It does. Do you remember when Jesus was arrested? And then they beat him. And then they presented him to the, to the Roman governor at the time, Pontius Pilate. And when Pilate met Jesus, he said to Jesus, don't you know that I have the power to crucify you? Your life is in my hands. If I say crucify him, it'll be done. If I say you can live, it'll be done. Don't you know that I have that power? You want to see what Jesus said to him? Jesus reminded him of something. It says in John chapter 19, verse 10 and 11, Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, you could have no power over me unless it had been given to you from above. What was true in the Old Testament is still true in the New Testament, is still true today. Whatever authority a king or governor has is only from God. The only reason why Pontius could even sentence Jesus to crucifixion was because the Father allowed these events to happen. Pilate, don't you know, you would have no power at all unless God had given it to you. That is still true today. So as we begin with a reminder, remember, as you submit to government, you are really submitting to the Most High God, who is over all. And every leader, and today every employer, every parent, every husband, every person in leadership roles in the community, remember always, you are accountable to God Most High. Amen? Remember. Number two, resistance. What does Paul teach about resistance toward the government? Verse 2, therefore, whoever resists authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Now let's stay here for a little bit before we go on to the next point. What does this mean? If you resist what government says, you are resisting the ordinance and the order that God has placed over you. In other words, all of us here, as we live in Indonesia, we must respect the laws of this land. Amen? Whether this is our home country or we are visiting, we must respect it. Now, there may be many things. If you're coming from different parts of the world and now you're living here, there may be many things that you don't understand. Why do they do this kind of thing in Indonesia? Why is this a law? Why is this the rules? Regardless of you questioning it, regardless of you disagreeing with it, we are responsible to follow the rule of law in Indonesia. We are to submit. Now again, there are some rules that you might find very strange. For example, not in Indonesia, but if you go to the islands of Samoa, you know where those are? Go to the island of Samoa. In fact, Boris, you and Tanya, go take a trip to Samoa, spend some time there, and do this around Tanya's birthday. Because there's a law in Samoa 
that if a husband forgets his wife's birthday, she has the right to call the police to report it and send her husband to jail. That's a law in Samoa. That's probably a good law, actually. Now, I don't know who goes through that, and I don't know what's going on with a marriage where a wife is actually willing to do that, but that is the law. And you know what happens, Boris, if you take Tanya there? You have to respect the law of the land and remember her birthday. Or, say we go to Switzerland and we visit. And we've been out all day sightseeing, we've been eating, we've been drinking, and now we come back to our hotel or we're back home with the people that we're staying with. Well, in the evening, between 10 o'clock at night until 7 in the morning, it is against the law to flush the toilet. So you better do your business before 10 o'clock comes. Because it's against the law to do it after 10 and before 7. Why? Because according to the rule of law, it's noise pollution. Noise pollution. I'm not joking. It's noise pollution. And if you flush a toilet, you can be reported and be arrested and pay a heavy fine. Or, let's go visit Gerald's family in Singapore. I love Singapore. And if you've ever been there, you probably know why I love Singapore. You probably do too. But if you go to Singapore, you better not, as of 1992, you better not chew gum. Because chewing gum was a law created in 1992. They believe, because it's not really biodegradable, they don't want chewing gum all over the city. So they banned it in 1992. And in the very beginning, it came with imprisonment and 100,000 U.S. dollars of a fine. Why? Chewing gum. <laughs> now today I read that they've relaxed that law a little bit. And you are allowed to chew gum if you have a doctor's prescription, which I don't know what that comes from. Now, I think of that and think, what, what in the world? What kind of a law is that? But I'll tell you what, if I go to Singapore, you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to chew gum. And I'm going to make, make sure my kids are not going to chew gum. Why? Because we respect the rule of law. Even if you think it's strange or funny or odd or outdated, follow the law of the land where you are. That's being respectful. Don't resist in those ways. I also read that if you go to Arizona, this is in the United States, you know all the cac cacti is the plural of cactus. But if you go and simply cut one down, it's against the law. You can go to jail for that. I didn't know that. It's a good thing I do now in case I go to Arizona. We are to respect the rule of law and submit to it as though we are submitting to the Lord God himself. Well, the question is, is there ever a time then where we are allowed as Christians to resist the rule, to resist a law, to resist a command or a charge that comes from government? Are we ever given permission to resist and to respectfully say, no, I will not listen? Think about that for a moment. In Scripture, I believe you're going to find the answer is yes. There are times where we are to resist the commands of government. And before I get into these things, always remember, we are never to be disrespectful. We're never to be rude. We're always to be Christ-like. But there are occasions where we must resist the commands of government should they occur. Now remember, if we are submitting to government, we're submitting to the Lord, which means he's in charge, which means we are to be devoted to him above all things, which means if you are being asked to do something that is sin against God, what do you do? Do you sin or do you follow God's command? Let's look at some biblical examples of this very thing and find out what people did in the Bible. And also how God responded to such things. We don't have to turn to it, but let me just mention a few of these. In the days of Exodus, when Exodus was uh, taking place in the land of Egypt under Pharaoh. Pharaoh, who wanted to limit the number of Israelites, 
He gave a command to all the Hebrew midwives. If a Hebrew mother is giving birth, and as you're helping, if you find that this child that's being born is a boy, you are to slaughter that boy. Kill him. If it's a girl, she can live. And they did this to decrease the number of Israelites and also decrease the amount of soldiers that Israel could have. They don't want them to be too powerful. Wow, so what do we do? That is a charge directly from the king. Kill the Jewish boys. But we also have a command from our king that says you shall not murder. So what do we do? Well, I'll tell you what the Hebrew wives, midwives did. They refused to obey the command. They gave, uh, helped give birth to all the baby boys and all the baby girls. And so because they did that, because they disobeyed the direct command of the king of Egypt, because what they did was honoring God's command, the Bible says that God blessed them for it. He blessed them and he blessed their households. God took care of them through it all. You think God was upset with that decision? Or do you think God honored them for doing what was right? And then we come back into that kingdom of Babylon. You remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Those three Hebrew boys living in Babylon? King Nebuchadnezzar, before he got saved, he made a huge golden image. And he wanted everybody to worship his gods. And he gave a direct command to all the people of Babylon. When you hear the music play, everyone bow down and worship the image that I have made. What do we do? That's a direct command from the king himself. What do we do? Because our king says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall never make an image and bow down to it. So what did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego decide? They decided to honor the king of kings and God most high. They refused to bow, even though everybody did. Nebuchadnezzar threatened them, gave them another chance. He said, I'm going to throw you in a furnace of fire if you don't do this. And when he said that to them, they respectfully said, King, we don't even need to answer you. We're not going to do this. And should you throw us into the flames, our God is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to that image. He threw them into the furnace. And what happened to them? They did not burn because there was a fourth man in that furnace with them. And the Bible says that when they came out of that furnace, they didn't even have the smell of smoke on their clothing. In fact, the only thing that burned were the ropes that binded them when they threw them into the furnace because they came out free men walking around. Do you think God was angry at them? Or do you think God approved of that decision to honor the Most High God? I could also tell you about Daniel. The command went out by King Darius. For 30 days you are not to pray to any God except to the gods of King Darius. Do not do it for 30 days. What does Daniel do? Because Daniel knows that he seeks God alone. Daniel knows there are no other gods. These are idols. These are false religions. I worship the one true God and I seek only him. What would Daniel do? You know what he did do? First, let me tell you what he didn't do. He didn't go home, shut off all the lights, hide under his bed, and whisper a prayer. You know what he did? In the middle of the day, he opened up all of his windows so that all could see and that all could hear, and he began to worship and pray and glorify God. That made them very angry. Of course it did. He resisted their command. So they threw him in a, in a den of lions that they would eat him alive. Only the lions didn't touch Daniel. You think God approved of that? Or you think God was angry that Daniel didn't worship these other gods? Last, there's an example in the book of Acts. Jesus gave command to his disciples to go and preach the gospel. To go and proclaim that wonderful name of Jesus. And as they did, people were being healed. People were being saved. Lives were made new. But the authorities didn't like what was happening. 
So they arrested the disciples and said to them very, very specifically, stop preaching that name. Stop teaching that name or else. And Peter's response was, listen, whether we're supposed to do this or not, whether we listen to you or we listen to God, you be the judge. In other words, we'll accept whatever judgment you want to give, but we will not stop preaching the name of Jesus. Later on, they arrested them again, and they beat them in the prison and warned them again, stop preaching the name. And Peter said, we would prefer or it is better that we listen to God rather than man. So in these examples, is there ever a time where we are to resist government? Yes, if their command or their ruling is against God and his commands and his law for us. Why? Because no matter what, we are to honor the Most High God. And I would say that to every relationship I mentioned also before. And I'll tell you, personally speaking, because I know of these situations, if a husband says to his wife, I want you to engage in sexual sin. Let's commit adultery. I've met those kinds of couples. What should that wife do? Just simply do what her husband says? No, because God says you shall not commit adultery. She has the right to refuse her husband in that way. What if the master says to his servant, or the employer says to him, the employee, hey, I want you to lie to your customers. And I want you to cheat them out of their money so that we can get more profit. What should they do? Because God says you shall not lie and you shall not steal. What are they to do? What about the example, and I've had this too, a parent whose son or daughter has become a Christian and yet the parent wants to force that child to bow down to our family idol, burn the incense, make your offering and worship. What does that son or daughter do when the Most High God says, you shall not serve other gods, you shall not bow down to an image? There are times where God does allow us to resist commands. But let me add this. We need to be sure that if we're going to resist a command, that it truly is against God's will. We need to know for sure, is this command I'm being given, being given is this actually something that God would consider a sin? Because there may be some things that happen that you're not quite sure. And in those times, you need to have wisdom and you need to pray and you need to ask the Holy Spirit, how do I respond to this? For example, what happened a couple of years ago to every church in the world? They were told by government, you must shut down. Now in the very beginning, I can't think of any church that had any problem with that at all. If this is going to help, if this is going to protect people, you're telling us to do this for two weeks? All right, we're all for it. We'll do what we're told and we'll kind of take a vacation for a little bit. But then what happens when two weeks becomes two months and then six months and then a year and more? What do we do then? Because God says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. He doesn't add parentheses unless it's through Zoom, or unless it's through FaceTime, or unless you have YouTube, God says, don't forsake coming together. So, what did churches do in that time? There's a couple of things that they did. I'll tell you what we did. Pastor Subekti, who is pastor over all Alpha Omega, he decided because we have a large population of elderly members and we have a large population of young people that live with their elderly parents or grandparents. And with that in regard, let's love one another and let's see if we can figure out how to do this. Let's take a time where we don't meet together in person in church. And because our pastor said that, we submitted to his authority and we at Alpha Omega International did the same. You remember? But you know, we also know how important it is that we assemble ourselves together. 
And if you just question that whole thing, remember how it felt when you weren't allowed to go to church. Many of you told me how, how weakened you become, how you need that fellowship with each other. And when it's all gone, it's a real struggle. Remember that? So we thought, let's do what we can. Let's submit. But as soon as we were given permission to meet at home, we absolutely did it. We met with Connect and we started meeting at home because we knew how important it was. And as time went on, larger groups got together until we were able to come into the sanctuary. We still follow a couple of rules, but here we are today, back in the presence of God. And you know what? I believe because we did what we did in the way that we did it, God has blessed us. He really has. What do I mean by that? Well, it's because of that shutdown that there's now a camera there and there's a camera there. And right now I'm speaking to whoever wants to listen to me on YouTube. Praise God. Do you know that every week when these sermons go out, there are at least 50 viewers watching our messages who don't come to our church. There are many of those viewers who don't even live in Indonesia. There are people all over the world who are tuning in every week to hear preaching coming from Alpha Omega International. Thank God for that. We would not be here today if it wasn't for the decisions we made as a church. Do you know what else happened? Before COVID, the amount of volunteers we had was this many. After COVID, we now have this many people volunteering, rolling up their sleeves, and doing the work of the ministry. And I praise God for that. I believe what we did and how we did it, God honored it. We submitted and we respected it in the best way we thought, but we also knew it was important to never stop coming together. We did what we did the best way we could. God honored that. Now, there are other churches in the world that took a much different approach. And they basically said, no, we will not stop coming together. I don't care for two weeks. I'm not doing it for one Sunday. We will come together. We don't care what government says. And they came together. And then the government warned them. And the pastor said, I don't care. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Now, when I remember those things, I don't, I don't blame the pastor. He, he's the shepherd of his congregation. And if he feels that government is telling him to do something that God disagrees with, then I just have to trust he's praying about it and he's using biblical wisdom to make his decision. I don't judge any pastor who met during the time when government said you're not allowed. But you know what else comes along with that? When a pastor does that, he also has to remember he will suffer consequences. He will. And all the pastors that I know did that, they did suffer the consequences. Many of them went to jail for months. And some of these churches were small churches, 20 people, 30 people with one pastor. And then you have to think, well, now while you're in prison for three months, who's shepherding your flock? Who's encouraging them now? Who's, who's there for them in time of need? All those things have to be considered. And so many churches had a different approach to this whole thing that we call a lockdown. I believe what we did was out of respect, out of love. God saw us through it, and here we are today. This is why I say, if you're going to stand on a hill and say, I'm standing here and I will not do what government says, you better, number one, you better make sure that what they're asking you to do is actually sinning against God. Number two, be ready to die on that hill. Be ready. Be ready to be persecuted. Be ready for jail. Be ready for all the consequences that come. And if you are, God bless you. God be with you. So we need to be careful in how we resist. Let me quickly finish up now with responsibility. I saw the red card flash quite a long time ago. Responsibility. There's a government responsibility for the people, and there's the people's responsibility for the government. The government's responsibility for us is to protect and to provide. For the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. 
But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. He is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. The laws of the land, right here in Indonesia, the laws of the land, they are made so that we can learn to live at peace with other people. Religions, other people groups, communities, different backgrounds. The rule of law is so that we can all get along together and be united as Indonesian citizens and residents. And it's to protect us and to keep us safe. So that if somebody commits a crime, the law is that that person or group must be penalized. They must be. And to me, if someone commits a crime, the greatest thing government can do is bring swift and decisive punishment to the evildoer. Why? Because it helps deter criminals from acting criminally. If the government doesn't care, if the government lets people just get away with stuff, how is that safe for anybody? No, the government is responsible for the safety of its people, to protect its people. And that's why we have laws. Indonesia has a law that many nations don't like. And that is if you smuggle drugs into this country, you will die swiftly, most certainly. And a lot of people don't like that. But Indonesia knows we've got young people dying every day because of drug overdose. And we need to protect these young people. So if you're going to smuggle it in, you will die. Now that might seem harsh, but you know what? Nobody has to die. All you have to do, don't break the law and try to smuggle in drugs. And then nobody has to die. But they are to protect the people. Paul says, therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. In other words, don't just follow the law because you don't want to get in trouble. Follow the law because it's what's good and it's what God expects of us. And the second thing they do is provide, not just protect, but provide. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Yay! For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Paul calls the governors and the governing authorities God's ministers, which means they are servants. Yes, they're an authority, but they live and breathe to serve the people of Indonesia. They serve God and they serve people. And one way they do that is being good stewards of your taxes. When you pay your taxes, the government is to provide infrastructure, transportational needs, education, provide you a military, provide you a police force, provide you a, a firefighting force as well. They do this so they can provide to you. Isn't it interesting that when God raised up the great king of Israel, David, God said, I want a man after my own heart. Do you know what kind of, God, what kind of man God chose? David was a shepherd. Do you know what a shepherd does for a living? He protects and he provides. Those are the two things he does for his sheep. So it's very interesting that God would choose such a king to protect and to provide. My prayer always for our president, for our governors, for our military personnel, to, for our police officers, is that they will protect and provide. I always pray that they will do what they do because they love the people of Indonesia. That they do what they do with integrity because they care, because they're concerned. And as we pray for them, we should also be always thankful for their families. The wife of a police officer is never guaranteed that her husband is going to come home alive. And we should be thankful for such families who sacrifice so much for us. Last, we have the government's responsibility for the people, but there's also the people's responsibility to the governor or to the government. Render, therefore, to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Customs to whom customs. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. What are we responsible for? What does God expect from us? That we, number one, pay our taxes. Whatever percentage the government has determined for you, pay those taxes. How many of you love the opportunity to pay your taxes to the government. Yeah. 
My girls, Rachel and Yaya, they've gone to America. They get their job. They get paid their very first paycheck, and they call me to complain. Someone stole my money. What do you mean someone stole your money? It says I get paid this much, but look, I get $200 less than that. Where did it go? Who stole it? I said, oh, welcome to the real world. You see that thing called tax? Congratulations, you are now paying tax to the government. Nobody likes to do it, but this is what is due to the government. Wherever you're from, it may be different from your own country, but there is a percentage given to you as an individual, as a corporation, whatever you do in life. What are we expected to do? Pay those taxes and to do it truthfully, to do it honorably, to give our taxes. Now, what if the government that we pay tax to is full of corruption? You think that's true? What if they're full of corruption? What do we do then? God says, pay your taxes. The moment you take your tax, and you actually don't do it with your own hands. Somebody else probably does this for you. The moment you pay your taxes, you're done. You did what God told you to do. Now, what they do with that money, they are accountable to God and to their nation. And if they do what's wrong, don't worry. God most high will take care of that. You are responsible to pay your taxes. Customs. How many of us have gone somewhere to visit? We come home from England. We come home from America, where you, wherever you are. And if you're like me, we've got eight bags of luggage. And every single one has a white chalk X or some marking on it. It's like, here we go again. We've got to open our bags and show our life to somebody. Now, sometimes they're very proactive with it. And they want to see what's, what's in those bags. Other times they mark it, but then you just pass on through. It's not very consistent. But when you come through customs and you mark up that bag, they, uh, they mark up the bag, what are you to do? You are to open it. And if they determine that you're bringing a product that needs to be taxed, then you must pay that tax and do it truthfully. Give what is due. Fear. We owe fear to government. That means respect. We owe them respect. Whoever they are, be respectful of them. You know, one thing I love about my home country, the United States, well, something I don't love is how vicious politics get. I really don't like it. If there's a president in place that I didn't vote for, I don't spend my days in my life complaining, criticizing, and just gossiping about that president, whoever he may be. Because I don't think we should be doing that. We need to have a respect for the office of the presidency. What I like about America every once in a while, no matter how divisive we are over the, over the president and his policies and his decisions, no matter how much fighting is going on, when Congress is in place and the president comes to make his address to the country, no matter how you feel about him, when he walks into that room, every congressman, every congresswoman, every senator will stand to their feet and applaud. Now, granted, some are really clapping. Some are just doing this. Nevertheless, they stand. Why? Because they still respect that this man is the president of the United States. We are to respect those in authority over us. And the last comment that we're making today is to not forget about honor. This is a long sermon. <laughs> honor. Honor the governing authorities. Do you know the greatest way you can honor President Jokowi? You can be a, a stand-up citizen of Indonesia. You can be a good example to your fellow community members, what it means to be a good citizen. You know how else you can honor President Jokowi? Pray for him and bless him in the name of Jesus. I can't think of a greater way to honor an official other than praying for him. All right, musicians, let's go. Let's close. Let me just say one more thing as they're coming up, talking about honor. Now, what I'm about to say, I am not showing off I'm not bragging, please. 
But back in 2007, 2008, I began a professional relationship with a woman named Jill Biden. And at the time, she was the senator's wife. We had a professional relationship, and as time went by, it was a good relationship. And we got into much conversation about family and things going on in the world, things going on in our individual lives. And God gave me a wonderful opportunity of witnessing to her, telling her of my testimony, hearing of her anxieties in life, and allowing me to pray for her. And I greatly appreciated that. And then she became the wife of the Vice President Joe Biden. And then now today she is the First Lady of America, the President of the United States. Now I remember all those times that we talked together, all the times that we were praying, and all the times that I was encouraging her. Every time I see Jill Biden on the news or in some sort of news article, I always remember to honor her. And I continue to pray that God will bless her and keep his good hand upon her. Keep her safe, bless her husband, bless their family. And to take care of them as they are doing a great, are taking on the greatest responsibility over the American people. Let's honor those who govern over us by praying for them. Amen? Let's all stand together.